We have begun to study the, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, is this book that follows the, the gospels about Jesus. It follows Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it picks up, there's this little brief transition that overlaps with these gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then it begins to tell about what life was like for those that followed Jesus in the weeks and months and years that followed. And it runs for about, about three decades plus and, and gives us this glimpse of what life was like for those first followers of Jesus. So it, it begins in the first few verses. There's this overlap from the Gospels, and it talks about the first 40 days after the crucifixion, during which time Jesus appeared several times to the apostles. So he appeared to them, uh, the risen Lord after the crucifixion, with skin on, and he would talk with them, he would embrace them, he would show them the nail scars in his hands, he would eat with them, and so forth, again and again. When you see how it describes that in Acts in those first few verses of chapter 1, and you compare what it says also in Matthew 28 at the very end of that gospel, you can understand that, that he would appear to them, and they would see he really was risen. He, he, was, he was physically with them, and they would believe it, but apparently they would go to sleep at night, wake up the next day and pinch themselves and think, this, this has got to be a dream. This is too good to be true. People don't rise from the dead. It has to be a dream. And so he would appear to them again and again and again, uh, enough times for them to get to the point that they would realize, uh, we've seen him over and over. And they finally got to the point they could wake up the next day and not, not have to pinch themselves. But, but it, was a, it took something for them to come to faith. And in that process, Jesus says to them on one day, he says, I have an assignment for you that is so difficult that you don't have a chance unless the very power of God begins to live in you. And he says, so don't leave Jerusalem until the power of God begins to live within you when the Holy Spirit begins to live within you. Because the, the, the mission I'm going to give you is, is so difficult. So the very last day comes, it's the 40th day, and This is the last time he's going to appear to them, and he gives them the mission. And he says, you will be my witnesses. Go tell everyone about me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying, I'm not going to come back. I'm not going to show myself to them. I won't show them me with skin on, but you'll just go tell them. And by the power of your words and by the power of your lives, then then there will be people in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth that that will... begin to deeply believe I'm the risen Lord, and they will begin to follow me. And they, they understand the impossibility of that. They understand how extremely, extremely difficult that is. Now, apart from God, if God doesn't step in, they understand they will be stepping into the deep where feet may fail. And so they're standing there, and Jesus ascends into heaven, and he disappears into the clouds, and, and they're, they're left with that, and two angels appear to them, and these angels say, uh, you got to know this, you got to remember this, he will return. In essence, he was saying to them in the weeks and months and years and decades ahead, sometimes it will seem so impossible, it will seem like the journey is so long, it will seem like you were living in the deep every single day, which they would be. He'll say, you have to remember that that won't last forever because he will return. And then in verse 12, then they, they leave that site, they go off uh, from the Mount of Olives where they are, the half-mile trek to Jerusalem. And it says they went to this upper room where they were staying at the time, and, um, and it actually names them all out. And then in verse 14, there's this key thing that happens. They get to this upper room, it says they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. They were constantly united in prayer. And when I think about that, 
and realize the mission they've been given, they're supposed to pretty soon now, they're going to have to leave that upper room and begin to tell people that they've seen Jesus alive and, and do it in a fashion that those people actually believe it and those people actually surrender their entire life to this risen Jesus. It's impossible. They've been given mission impossible. What else would they do but pray? Prayer was their only hope. And I would say to you, and this is true for me as well, when you step into the deep, when you step into the deep where feet may fail, prayer is frequent and fervent. When you find yourself, when you are navigating something in life, it's stepping into the deep and you realize there's no way, there's no way I will keep my head above water unless God intervenes. What do you do? Frequent, fervent prayer, correct? That's just what we do. That's just, that's almost automatic. I got a phone call in recent days from a dear friend of mine that lives out of state and he has a rare disease and this disease came back with a vengeance and now he's, he's, uh, the entire right side of his body is paralyzed. And he and his wife are in fervent prayer, and part of the fervent prayer is, God, would you please heal me? And it may happen, although it doesn't appear that likely, but part of his fervent prayers are, God, give me grace in this. If this lasts for another week, a month, or a lifetime, give me grace. God, give me guidance in this about what do I do. He's president of this organization. Give me guidance about what I do about what the future looks like. Give me peace in this. This man would tell you, he's been telling people about Jesus with his life for a long, long time. And, and now that he's thrown into the deep one more time, he's saying, God, if, if, I don't, if I don't get healed by you, would you give me this peace that passes understanding? There's this frequent fervent prayer. And now I'm his friend. And every single morning, I, it's not my life. What am I doing every morning? fervent prayer, God, please intervene. And there's no way that they'll be able to walk on water, whatever the outcome of this is, apart from that. I have a friend in this past year, and I could say the same about myself in seasons of life, and some of you could as well. This friend has um, accommodated a sin in his life for a long time, and he had convinced himself that the damage of it would never be all that bad. And uh, he realized in the past year he realizes the extent of some of the damage that's in. And, and he began this journey with Jesus of saying, help me abandon that sin, where it becomes history. It's no longer something that I would walk into again. And he began to walk into the deep because this had been a familiar sin for a long, long time. And he had tried to abandon it before, and, but, but never with this fashion, never with this fervency. And, and this friend of mine has had frequent and fervent prayer because because he knows he's in the deep. And if Jesus doesn't intervene, this sin will just be part of his, his life and the damage he began to see will just escalate and, and he'll drown with all that. Marie and I get to be part of a, a group in uh, the Living Hope Ministry. Living Hope Ministry Houston is part of a larger ministry that's in other places in the country, but it's a ministry for, uh, for those that struggle with same gender attraction and also for friends and family of those that struggle with same-gender attraction. And so part of the ministry is there's a, a weekly gathering, and so some of the folks that are there, in addition to a bunch of volunteers, there are men who struggle that are there that want to know and follow Jesus and follow him with abandon and sexual purity. There are women in the same boat. There are family and friends, so people who have a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or a spouse or a parent or somebody 
who, who is struggling with same gender attraction. So Marie and I get to be part of that. And we're part of the friends and family group. And we go home on the night that this occurs. It seems like every time we go home and um, there's so much spiritual adrenaline. And I've told Marie again and again, worship on that night. It is so fervent on that night. It's not that the crowd is that big, but it is like we are all communing with God of the universe. And when our friends and family group gathers and we talk and share and we pray and everything, the prayers are fervent and all of us around this circle that we realize that all of us, we have frequent fervent prayers. Why? Because in friends and family, we're hoping, yearning, praying that we might live our lives in a way that would be encouraging for a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or spouse or whomever, maybe to turn to Jesus, if some, because many have not turned to Jesus and begin to follow him. And maybe it's for some who've begun to turn to Jesus, but for them to learn how to live in faithfulness and purity to him. And so among us, and it's why it's so alive, we show up and the prior seven days, the prayers have been so frequent, so fervent. And now we've begun to see stories now of some of the sons and daughters and on and on whose lives are beginning to change, which just adds fuel to the fire. When, when you step into the deep, when you're walking a place that God has led you, and if God doesn't intervene, your feet will fail and you will sink. Prayer is frequent and fervent. There was this old saying back when wars used to be fought on the front lines with actually uh, people on the front lines fighting each other. There was this old saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. And when we're, man, when we're stepping into the deep, just frequent, fervent prayer just happens. You don't have to get up in the morning and think, well, I really should pray. Theologically, this is something I ought to do, so I guess I'll... I guess I'll try it. I guess I'll do it because I should. You don't have to. You just simply do. And I, I look through the book of Acts because I've read to the end. <laughs> I've got to the end of it. And this frequent, fervent prayer doesn't abate. It runs over three decades, and it doesn't waver at all. In a short while beyond this opening chapter, they'll find themselves now. They've begun to tell people in Jerusalem about Jesus, and it brings this intense persecution upon them. And in the persecution, then they're, they're praying frequently and fervently, God, give us courage so we don't quit. And then a, a little bit of time passes, and God has reached so many people, and now there's this big group of people in Jerusalem that believe in Jesus and follow him. And this is so cool. They are, are all from all aspects of life. Uh, racially, ethnicity, socioeconomic, education, all, all portions of life. And humanity is still humanity. And, and they begin to rub elbows together. And there begins to be this division. And what do they do? They pray. They're thinking, we're in the deep again. Like We're supposed to love each other. If you don't intervene, we don't have a chance. And, and, and then um, on the heels of that then, there's this first prompting that comes out of prayer to actually take this message to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. They didn't know how to do that, and so it's in prayer that God prompts that and causes that to begin and causes that to launch out. And the one that launches it out then soon finds himself in prison, which launches more frequent, fervent prayer for the one in prison. And a little bit of time passes, and, and you read then for the very first time just out of prayer, this frequent, fervent prayer, then God launches the very first formal mission trips on the planet 
all launched out of prayer. On and on and on. You get to the next to the last chapter in Paul and Luke and some other followers of Jesus. They're on this ship in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And they've been in this horrific storm for 14 days. And, and what do they do? Frequent, fervent prayer. It's, it's the norm. It's normal. I've been following Jesus now for just over three decades. And I was reflecting back on the 32 years. And in my experience, this, um, this sense of I am in deep water. If Jesus doesn't intervene, then I will sink. And I look back on my 32 years, and it's just this journey of frequent, fervent prayer. There have been very few times I've had to think I, I should pray. Most mornings I get up and I think, if God, if you don't intervene, I don't have a chance. I don't have a chance to do this. And, and this is what I've, I've learned, and this is going to be very important for you to grasp. The normal life for a Christ follower is one where you're walking upon the deep or you're stepping into the deep, which will cause you, it, it will, whether you like it or not, it will, it will lead you to frequent and fervent prayer. I've said the last two weeks, I've talked about how faith at its core is stepping into the deep. Faith is going where feet may fail. And I've talked about how faith in essence, faith in Jesus is giving Jesus this carte blanche with your life, which means this blank check with your life or a blank check with my life and saying to him, I, I trust you to the level that you can direct my life. You, you guide me, you tell me and whatever you say, I will step there, I will go there. There's this carte blanche, and at the very core of that is he longs to make every follower of his makes them like himself. The culture back in, when the book of Acts was written, the culture was that there were rabbis, which means teacher, and there were disciples, and the culture was that the disciples' objective was to become just like the rabbi. And Jesus' picture of disciple and rabbi has never changed in these 2,000 years. His picture, his vision is that he would make us like himself. Paul would write about this in Ephesians 4.13. It says, we must become like a mature person growing until we become like Christ and have his perfection. And that is the objective of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, his objective is that he would make you just like him. So increasingly, you would think like he thinks and your emotions would respond to reality like his emotions respond to reality. And you would do the things he would do. And the same would be true of me as well. And he is, he is so, so different than we are. And so now I'm 32 years into this. And by his grace, he's changed some things in me. There's some things where areas of life, I am more like Jesus. I, I am more like Jesus. But as the years have progressed, I understand more and more how how truly perfect he is. And in that sense, I realize I'm farther from that than I realized when I began. In reality, I've made progress, but now I'm seeing more and more as the years go by what it means to be like him, what it means to be really like him. And so that journey, that carte blanche lead me, it is stepping into the deep, isn't it? On, on my own, I can never become like him. On your own, you could never become like him unless he intervenes. There's no chance. There's no way. And so as I realized that, then it has led me to this frequent and fervent prayer. And so I would say this, and this is um, 
This is an important summary of part of this message for us to grasp. Frequent and fervent prayer is a litmus test of spiritual health. Frequent and fervent prayer is a litmus test of spiritual health. It's not the only test, and there can be a time where you or I might be praying frequently and fervently and be very unhealthy spiritually. We might be so off base spiritually. So it's it's not the only test. But if you are finding yourself in a time where your prayers just simply aren't frequent and fervent, that's a sign of lack of spiritual health. It's a sign that that you've stalled in this season. It's a sign maybe you're even regressing in this season. It's a sign of that because it means in this carte blanche world with Jesus, he's still saying to you, I I want to grow you how you think and feel and act and everything. And he's still doing that, but somewhere you've kind of shut that down or you've ignored that. And, and, and those of us who follow Jesus, we've all had seasons like that. We've all had seasons like that. Do you, do you understand, though, why this is a litmus test? Uh, do you understand why there, there never, if we're healthy, there's never an extended season where we can just wake up and say, it's all good. I don't really have to connect with you. Now, I got it all under control, and I'm, I am everything you want. And I'm doing everything you want. And when things go haywire, I'll get back with you. Do you understand why that, that is never spiritual reality? Do you understand that? Every morning he's saying, let's go again. I, I got something I'm trying to change in you. I have a mission for you. I have a mission for you. So I want to say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, then we've all been in those seasons where Prayer isn't frequent and fervent, and it's a dead giveaway that we're in spiritual stall or spiritual drift or whatever the case may be because we're, we're not walking in the deep. We're not walking in the deep. And, and so just a few brief comments to help if you're in that season. I would point you to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, which says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It's saying that scripture has, has uh, by the power of God and by the spirit of God, has this way of pointing to each of us as we read scripture and pointing out the areas that are not like Jesus yet. Pointing out to us the, the mission that he's given us that we're not following today has a way of doing that. And so I would say to you, if you're stalled, then I would say, be sure that you, if you're not doing it already, begin this practice, daily practice of opening up Scripture. And I would recommend the New Testament, open up Scripture and read very carefully what God is saying. And look for places where God is saying, I, I want to take you into the deep. And maybe over something about your heart or your mindset, it may be about what you're doing or not doing. It may be about some sin. It may be about the omission of something he wants you to be doing. But be very, very mindful about it. And I'll give you some, here's some of the big, broad ones that usually trip us up. And, and we get into this comfort mode about, I wake up and God, I'm good. I'm, no, no passion. I, have, I don't have to connect. Here, here are three big ones. One is around the area of, of evangelism, which simply means telling the good news of Jesus. Because... The call that God gave the first disciples is the call he gives every disciple is, is to tell other people this good news about Jesus. I, I know when I first met Christ, began to follow him, 
at some point, he began to show me these people around me that I worked with, and, and he posed the question, do you think I love you more than them? And, and it was, it's like the answer was embedded in that. No, <laughs> no I don't think so. And, and he began to say, do you realize what you've just gained by knowing my son Jesus? This relationship with me, this transformation to heaven someday? And he began to plant within me this, this sense that I'm going to heaven and I want to take everyone with me. I can. It began to be this understanding. That's, that's Jesus' plan. If, if you're going to heaven, then he wants to build within you this heart that you just simply want to take everyone with you. You can. Why would we not? And so many of us, we, we've never gotten that perspective or we've lost it. And, and so if we're just, we're, we are not stepping out in the deep, one of the immediate places that God would say step out in the deep is say, look around you. And there's some people that at this point, they don't know my son Jesus and they're not heaven bound. And, and I, I made you, I gave you heaven. You're going there. I want you to take with you everyone you can. That's one key area. So maybe it's yours. Maybe you've abdicated that to other people and God's saying in this moment, no. It, this is every Christ follower. Another big area is the area of money. And that usually comes down to the area of giving, which God is very specific about. And most of us, that when we finally step into the deep, it feels like it's deep, deep, deep water. It really feels like that. Because he says he wants us to give in three key ways. One, one is generously, and that would be fine until he identifies it. And he says the beginning of generosity is to give 10% of, of your income away to my cause. Now, if he just left it generously, I was fine with 20 bucks. <laughs> And then he says, generosity begins at 10%, and that begins to say, that's the deep. If I begin to do that, and you don't intervene, I'm in trouble with it. So he says, generously, and it just begins with the tithe, by the way. Uh, And then he says, do it cheerfully. So he doesn't even give us space to to do it grudgingly. He says, do it cheerfully. And then he says, do it sacrificially. And so if you're one of the ones who's blessed with so much money, like you could lose half of it and you'd never notice, then the message God would give to you is then you need to be given at least more than half because it's not costing you anything. And this is an area that, again, many of us in this room have stepped into the deep here. And when we take that first step, it feels so deep because we know we'll sink unless God intervenes. And of course, as he always does, he intervenes. It becomes quite the journey, quite the adventure living that. Money's one. Some of you in this room... You've been so comfortable waking up in the morning, and tomorrow morning, you will not wake up comfortable because this is the area for you. I'll give you one more, and it's in an area of character or morality, character or morality. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, strip off every sin that is weighing you down. Strip off every sin that's weighing you down. And then most of us don't even know what those are, and so I'll give you some passages to begin looking at. You'll need to look at the whole Bible over time, but I would begin looking at Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, just three chapters. Jesus talks about things that are so, they feel so upside down, and after you read them verse by verse by verse, you realize how upside down you and I are, and most of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room, could not get through those three chapters and say, we're actually living all of that. 
maybe all of us in this room would find something in there that we would say, this is the deep. You're calling me into the deep in this verse here. This is an area you want to change. So I recognize a number of you. This, man, you woke up comfortable this morning, and my mission that God gave me today was to leave you very disturbed. <laughs> and the way you can tell if you're comfortable is you haven't had frequent fervent prayer about anything. And so here's some areas to look. Now, I want to do this now. I want to shift gears. I want to talk about some things important for frequent fervent prayer. These things are, are important for frequent fervent prayer. For many of you, these will not be new, but I think they'll be helpful reminders. Perhaps some of these things I'll mention are things that haven't been current for you as you're praying. So let me give you some key things. One is this, is, is when you pray, be still. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And hear me on this. That means no multitasking. That means there needs to be a daily time and space. It's no multitasking. And I'm going to make some of you really mad now, and I don't care. <laughs> a lot of you, I'm going to affirm you on something and challenge you to something. A lot of you, your, your best prayer time with God is when you drive, you make your commute. And I will affirm you, that's a great time to pray. Keep doing that. If that is your best time of prayer, you are kidding yourself. If you think you're being still and knowing that he's God. You need a window of time. It doesn't have to be long. You need a window of time. It's just you and God. No multitasking. No distractions. You need that. You need that. Second thing is this. It is know when you... When you are praying, whether it's in the stillness or the commute or whatever, know God is fully present. When you're praying, you, have, you need to know God is fully present. Genesis 28, 16. It's a famous place uh, where Jacob has had this encounter with God, and, but he didn't know it until he looked back. And he says, surely God was in this place. And I didn't even know it. And reality is when, when you pray... The God of the universe is there. And after all these years, partly because God wired me to be such a tangible person, like I, like I see you, I, I know you, I'm connecting with you because I, I can see you. After all these years, a decent percentage of the time when I pray, I have to stop and I have to spend as much time as it takes to, to get clear again. The God of the universe is here. And he's waiting to talk with me. And he's waiting to guide me. He's waiting to act on my behalf. And I don't, I really, I just don't even want to begin anything else about prayer until I'm clear on that. Because I've done enough prayers when I've just mouthed the words and, and I'm not grounded in, this is an actual conversation with the God of the universe. I, I just don't want to go there. Any, I don't even want to begin until it's clear to me. This is the reality he is here. He is here. Next, I would say this. It's when you pray, combine Scripture and prayer. Combine Scripture and prayer. So, so have your Bible with you, and as you're reading through Scripture, maybe you've chosen Matthew 5 through 7. Spend some time reading and some time praying. You can, you can sequence those in any fashion that seems to work best for you. But here's why I say that. Because God speaks most often through Scripture. He intends the meeting with Him to be a dialogue, not a monologue. And if it's, if it's only you conversing without Scripture, then too many times it will be a monologue. 
I, here's the truth. I hear God speak to me almost every day. And most of the time, it's through the Scripture I'm reading. Not always. Sometimes it's Spirit's prompting or God uses people to speak in my life, but the majority of the time, it's, it's God speaking through Scripture. And stunning number of times, I don't know how he does it, but exactly what I'm reading that day is exactly what I needed. So many times that's the case. So, so combine Scripture and prayer. And then, and then find the way to have a fully orbed conversation with God. A fully orbed conversation. And I'll give you one method. There are other ways. It can just be a guide for this. This is just simply a guide. And some of you know this. Some of you use this. This is an acronym that's, that's P-R-A-Y, pray, with an L added to the end of it. And, and this is what it would look like. And again, this is just one way to get fully orbed prayer. The, the P stands for praise. And it would be to take some time to praise God for two things, for who he is and for what he's done. And this is why it's so important. You're about to give him some fervent prayer about stepping into the deep, which means you realize that unless the supernatural God shows up, you don't have a chance. And this gives you a chance to to remind yourself, this is the God of all power, of all knowledge, infinite love, full of grace, full of all those things. To get clear, okay, the one in a few moments, I'm going to be making these supernatural ask of, I'm talking to the one who can actually pull them off. That's who I'm talking to. And then praise for what he's done as well, for what he's done. This becomes especially helpful as the weeks and months and years go by of following Jesus and you see the things he's done. The list gets longer and longer and longer. And if you can just remind yourself of the things he's done already in your life, it encourages you and fuels you and gives you great hope. And so if you begin by praising him for who he is and what he's done, there's great gain from that. The R stands for repent, and that's just simply to ponder honestly before God if, if, if you've sinned since the last time you conversed with him. And if you recognize you have, then to authentically repent and say, I, I am authentically so sorry. I don't want to do that again. And clear the air with him. Jesus already died for it, for that sin. He already died. He paid the full price for it. But it removes the barrier. You've, like me, you've prayed sometimes without doing that, and it's just even hard to pray on, on our end. It removes the barrier, so repent. And then the, the A stands for ask. Ask, then ask him all of your questions. Make your request to him. Sometimes the request is for wisdom or guidance or power or intervention or encouragement, or comfort, or on and on and on. All the assets you have, pour them out to him. When you've done that, the wise stands for yield. Yield to his carte blanche lordship again. Say, I'm a blank check. My life is a blank check, Lord. Again, lead me, guide me today. I will do whatever you say. My intent is I will do everything you say. I yield to you again. And then finally, the add-on L is to listen is to be sure you allow time and space to listen. Give God time and space to speak into your life. Often it's about what you've been talking with him about. Sometimes it's about a whole new subject as well. Spend time to listen. I'll give you one more thing that I've learned to be of great value as well with frequent fervent prayer, is find some way to to journal and, and do at least this. I spoke to a friend that's, I think in the next service, it sits right around this area right here. And this is what he does. His journal is merely every time he sees God work, he makes a note of it. 
And so his journal is just filled with times he's seen God work. And he said, he's, he's all passionate. He said, this is so cool. Uh, every time I'm facing the unthinkable and I need hope and assurance, I pull out my journal. And I just read what he's already done in my life. And so at least do that. Many of us find more value. Sometimes I will write out my prayers. Sometimes I will write bullets about my prayers. Sometimes I'll make other notes and everything. But, but find some way to journal at least the times you see God work. And then I would say this as well. The, in my view, the, the best book on prayer that I've ever read is Too Busy Not to Pray by Bill Hybels. Too Busy Not to Pray by Bill Hybels. Uh, over the last 15 years, I've read it at least four times, including this past year again. And, and so I say that uh, if you're looking for something to help fuel you and guide you about prayer, well, we purchased a number of copies of the book. They're in the lobby at the kiosk on the right. And anything that we actually would sell here, it's, it's always at or below cost for us. And so if, if you would like a resource, then I would recommend that. You could find it in the lobby going out. And I would say this. I'd like to invite you uh, to join some of us in where we've stepped into the deep. As a church this past year, we've stepped into what we call Vision 2200. It is this passionate, spirit-led, because we believe God has given this vision, this spirit-led vision that, that this facility would become full of people that are encountering Jesus and becoming his fully devoted followers. It's, it's what God wants. And he wants everyone to find Christ and, and find the way to heaven. And so a number of us in this room, that's become part of our fervent prayer and passion and pursuit. And if it hasn't become yours yet, and this is your church home, I would urge you to join us in that. God's vision has always been, if if you and I are going to heaven, let's take everyone with us we can. And we've begun to realize by his grace we've got, we've got, a, got empty seats. If there's room for someone else to meet Jesus and become a follower of Jesus and heaven one day for them, all of that. And so I would urge you to begin that, that frequent, fervent prayer with us. There's some prayer guides around this that help a lot of us. They're in the lobby on the right as you go out. Grab one of those on the way out. Part of it is just, just owning the perspective that in your world, there've got to be some people that don't know him yet. There've got to be some people that haven't had this radical change of life that Jesus brings and haven't had a change of address to heaven. And, and you're the connect. Around here, we call it top three, like the top three people in your life God would have you reach out to. Just this week, I got an email from, from one of us here that is deeply immersed in frequent fervent prayer about about this and the email was pretty long and the energy was off the richter scale because one of this person's top three has surrendered his life to jesus and began this new life and so this person was thanking god from the core of his being and then those of us that got the email began felt the same way because it's always been one life at a time one life at a time until this past week. I know, I know, I know. I just learned about one more life that's found life in Jesus. One more person who indeed is heaven bound. I would invite you to become part of that with us. I, I was, I'll wrap up with this. I was at a memorial service yesterday for a man named Donald Koenig who met Jesus here. There was a day he was the one more life. And um, so we were remembering his life and reflecting on how he is now in heaven. He is there. And it brought back a flood of memories to me, some of which were spoken of by 
uh, Steve Shelby, who did a phenomenal job leading that service. But, and then some were just other memories of mine as well. But I was thinking about what I think was the first time I met Donald Koenig. We were starting a capital campaign to help pay for the buildings that God was using. And the service was done, and this man came down to the front and introduced himself, and he said, I, my family and I are at this church. We love this church, and God's moving in our lives at this church, and, and I'm so impassioned. I so want to make a difference with this campaign, but we don't have any money. He said, I'm, my jobs are their contract. I don't know when they come, when they I don't have any money. And so I interrupted him. I said, that's no problem at all. I'm just glad you're here. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, I don't have any money because he, and, and the truth is they, he didn't and never did have any money. But he said, so this is what God has told me to do. My kids and I will take, after the jobs are done, we'll take um, like any extra jobs we can do. We'll mow lawns, paint houses, repair stuff. We'll do all that. Whatever we get from any of those extra jobs, we'll give it all to this campaign to, to pay for what God's doing here. And I was touched by that, and it was great. I thought, wow. And when he left, I thought, well, I bet he'll do that a couple times. <laughs> Indeed, I found out he'd done it once or twice. And as the three years of the campaign were unfolding, from time to time, I would hear he, he and his kids had done something else. And I got curious when the campaign was done. And so I, I just inquired. I said, well, someone in the know, would you look up and just tell me, like, did they do this very much? And it turned out that his household was one of the biggest giving households of the entire campaign. When the campaign was done, they still had nothing. Some time passed, and two years ago, maybe, I lose track of time, he called me and met with me, and he said, I, I'm a single parent, as you know, and been raising my kids on my own, and the odds are that I will step into heaven before they do, and I want them to be so prepared for that day. When that day comes, I want them to know know where I am. And I want them to deeply know Jesus. I want them to know what life will be like. I want them to know that, that he will guide them. He will provide for them. And so here's my plan, Rick. I want to bring them into your office, and I want us to sit down, and I want to tell them, odds are I'll go to heaven before you, and, and I will tell them all these things. And then I want you to repeat everything I say, because you're their pastor. They look up to you, and you say the same thing too, because I when the day comes, before we ever got sick. And so cancer came, and it came with a vengeance. And uh, we had the memorial service, and, and his kids were so ready for this. Of course they're grieving, and they will for a long time. They were so ready for it. And I found myself thinking about Donald Koenig how he stepped into the deep again and again and again. He stepped into the deep with money and giving. He stepped into the deep, taking his, making sure that he, he parented and led and developed and matured his kids every way he could. He had the most difficult, difficult conversation he could ever have with them, stepping into the deep again and again. And I thought about his life. I knew him about nearly a decade. And I looked back and I thought, this man was always fervently praying about something. Because he always let Jesus lead him into the deep again and again and again. Will you be that person too? We're going to take just a brief period of time for some prayer right now. And let me direct you this way when the prayer time begins. If you're sitting there thinking, I, I have not had frequent fervent prayer. 
then I would encourage you to spend this time asking God where he wants you to step into the deep. Spend this brief time asking God. He may answer you now. He may answer you tomorrow. And, but, but ask him, where do you want me to step into the deep that would, that would put me on the path of a life where I just have a life of frequent fervent prayer? If you're living in the deep right now, going where feet may fail, then I would just encourage you to use this time to talk to God about that where you are walking on the deep right now and what you need most right now from him. Spend that time that way. And then after we've had some time of that silent prayer, then we'll have a song of prayer that I will invite you to be part of as well. Father, I pray that this time would be deeply meaningful. That each of us where we are, that we would authentically connect with you. May each person here know that, that you, are, you are in their presence right now. You really are the God of the universe waiting to talk with them, to guide them, and to act on their behalf. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.